This episode of Full Armor Radio is brought to you by CR101 Radio Network. CR101 Radio Network is a Christian reconstruction internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. You can learn more at CR101Radio.com. We're also brought to you by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. You can learn more at gcsapprenticeship.com. And now to the show. Hello and welcome to Full Armor Radio. I'm your host, John O'Rourke. Good to be back with you. Uh, today I'll be starting a new series of podcasts on pragmatism. Um, pragmatism in blank um, will be the series. Pragmatism in and then fill in the blank. And today, the first episode will be pragmatism in worship. Pragmatism in the worship of God. I've pulled together uh, a number of videos here. Um, of examples of pragmatism in worship. That is basically doing whatever we feel like in worship, doing whatever we think would be cool or whatever we think would be um, enjoyable for us or um, whether or what we think might be um, pleasing to God in some cases. Um, essentially, things that people do in worship that for many of us, it makes us raise our eyebrow at we we say hmm something doesn't seem right about what they're doing there and some of these will be much more obvious some of these will be uh, something that maybe you've seen uh, maybe you've seen in your church or you've seen in, in a church you've been visiting before or a church you used to go to but what I want to do is show some examples of what people are doing in their church worship services and then I want to respond to them and say how could I biblically say that anything that they're doing here is wrong. And I want to be able to answer that question because I think for many of us, we see stuff that we think is weird or stuff that makes us cringe a little bit. And then we don't really know where we would go biblically to refute um, such such notions, such things that they do. So I, w- I want to start off with, with something here. Um, and uh, I'll describe it for those of you who, who are not watching the video. I'll describe what's what's going on. Um, but this we'll call this one um, "Big Comfy Couch" because that's what uh, that's what the the pastor here calls it. So here we go. Here is um, "Big Comfy Couch." Hey, so listen, who grew up in a family where mom had the rule: no jumping on the bed, no jumping on the furniture? Who had that kind of rule? Come on. Had that rule? We had that rule growing up, right? No jumping on the furniture. But guess what? My mom was in the last service. She's not here at this service. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the comfy couch. So just um, basically, if you're not watching the video, here's a, a, you know, quote unquote, pastor of a church who is jumping on probably a 25 foot tall couch made from a trampoline. Um, on the stage of their church um, in the beginning of his quote-unquote sermon. Continuing. A series at Church by the Glade. Going to be fun today. I do no tricks on the trampolines. I might hurt myself. And we're going to have a great time. And we are pro-couch because couches are just cool. Uh, we have a couch in our family room. And- Did you? We were all wondering, are they pro-couch? And it uh, turns out, yeah, they're pro-catch. That's the question that was on all of our minds. 
Uh, but the 25-foot couch um, certainly confirms that they are indeed pro-couch. Continuing on from Pastor Hughes here. Here we go. Man, we have great times there. I love being on the family couch. All right, so that was the, the beginning of his uh, his sermon, um, where it's it's I guess it's an illustration or something, but um, he has a giant couch, a giant couch that they clearly put a fair amount of work into, so he could jump and, and make a joke and and so on and so forth, um, as a part of their worship service. That's part of their worship service. Now here from the same worship service, here's the the end of it. This is their music. Um, at the end of that same worship service. This is a song that they do. the um the first one all right so got big comfy couch guy jumping on a big couch um as part of the worship service and the sermon and then at the end you got this this dance troupe you got this choreographed dance they're all um dressed the same doing some song about unity or something um i'm not sure (laughs) it's it's a big it's a big show big old show there um Certainly nothing about either of those has anything to do with the worship of God, yet they're done in the worship service, so you got that. So that's a pretty out there thing, isn't it? Well, here's another one. Here's a thing. This is a skit, um, kind of kind of um, interpretive dance in some way, to a Lifehouse song. Remember that band, Lifehouse? Um, the lead singer, and I think maybe the drummer or something, um, are Christians. But they this church decided to, in their... Um, and the worship service do a skit that involves um, some sort of interpretive dance with regard to a Lifehouse song. So here is here's that video. And I'll just play some of this. It's a few minutes long, so you get the idea. So you got a guy here. Um, I think he's meant to represent Jesus. And you got a, a young lady here. And, and it's all um, kind of, like I said, interpretive dancing. Where this guy who's meant to play Jesus, which I would say is one very inappropriate to do, but he is—he's doing some moves, and then, and then the girl is, is mimicking his moves, uh, like it's meant, meant to represent following Jesus or something like that. You can see they're in their church service on stage, a big crowd there. Got this interpretive dance going on as a part of their this part of their worship. This kind of skit uh, during a lighthouse song. So that kind of gives you the idea. I think this is something that they're doing in worship. Uh, something that is much more, I think, much more likely to happen um, in your average church. Um, but I would also say this is also inappropriate to do in worship. Just like the comfy couch couch. All right, next one. 
Um, this next one is actually interesting because it's done at a ostensibly or, or so-called reformed Presbyterian church. This is done um, with uh, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller's um, group, Redeemer, uh, up there in New York. This is um, something that happens um, before or during the, um, the Lord's Supper, during their worship service. This is um, essentially what we're going to see here is three young men do ballet um, for the worship service. Um, do ballet for worship. So as you can see there on the front, um, there's the Lord's table there. And then here are on the stage guys doing ballet. That's part of the worship service. So, obviously you got um, a very interesting, very unusual thing going on here with dancing going on during or as a part of, of worship. So I'll go ahead and, and stop that there. You get the idea. So we've had big comfy couch and you know dance troops. We got you know interpretive dance skits and you got ballet in worship. And then here, here finally, and this, this just this is on another level. Uh, even then, even then, big comfy couch. This is on a different level. Is there's actually a local church in um, in the area in East Tennessee here? Um, they are a liberal. PCUSA church, so they're not Reformed Presbyterian like I am. They are liberal, um, but yet they're still claiming to be Christian. And the reason I say that first is that you would wonder, is this even pretending to be Christian anymore? Well, apparently, yes. They even have a cross in the front. So let's, um, <laughs> this was done, I think, in March. So this was kind of er in the early days of when COVID was coming out and people were, um, you know, closing down the churches and stuff like that. So this was live streamed back in March, I think. Um, I think March, rather. I think I said May earlier. I think this happened in March of 2020. And here's um, here's what here's what they did. Excuse me. Here's what they did. And spirit. We will first turn to face the east. Breathe deep. Take a moment to center yourself. Connect with the rhythms of your heartbeat. Spirit of the East, energy of air, awaken us with the spring breeze. Fill our lungs and join us in celebration of the endless renewal of light and life. Bless us with your presence. Bless, Bless us, us with, with your presence. presence. Quarter turn to the right to face the south. Spirit of the south, energy of fire, warm us with the rising sun, quicken our hearts, and join us in celebration of the unfolding of the earth. Okay, that's about as much of that as I can take. <laughs> so in this, you got, rich, you got ritualistic readings um, where you're centering yourself. Center yourself with the rhythm of your heartbeat. And you got the drum, boom, boom, 
bum bum and then then imploring or 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 calling to the spirits of the directions spirit of the the east spirit of the east spirit of the south etc etc um which is again on a different level than the rest of these um because that's just straight up worshiping of other deities or or something um so straight up idolatry in an obvious sense but in all these we have some line that connects them and all of it is is that people are making stuff up people are making stuff up in in their worship um in the worship of, of god you know i would maybe exclude the that last one there because they're really not worshiping god but the other ones are at least they're calling themselves christian worship and, and so is the so is the spirit of the east drum one as well but it's pretty obviously um not christian but the other ones, you say, well, what's wrong with a skit? What's wrong with a little interpretive dance? What's wrong with a little ballet? What's wrong with a little, you know, this and that? And um, that's what I want to talk about today, which is the topic of what's called the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. What is the regulative principle of worship? Well, it's, it's very simple. The regulative principle of worship is... That when it comes to the worship of God, we can only worship him the way that he has commanded us. Not adding, not subtracting. We can only worship him the way that he has commanded us. Now, there's something else. There's a, there's a contrary view, and that's called the normative principle of worship. And what the normative principle of worship is, is that you can do whatever you want in worship as long as it's not explicitly forbidden in the Bible. So, according to the normative worship, you could do ballet during worship because the Bible doesn't say don't do ballet in worship. You could, you know, do a skit because the Bible says don't do a skit. As long as it's, you know, not expressly forbidden, you can do it. That's the normative principle. But I would argue that's not the biblical view of worship. The biblical view of worship is the regulative principle, which means that you can only do what God has commanded. He doesn't have to expressly forbid it for you to be for it to be forbidden. He says, do this for worship, period. And if you add to it or subtract from it, that's a sin. So if you were to go ahead and, and jump in there and do um, some sort of skit, since God has not commanded you to do a skit, that would be inappropriate, that'd be wrong worship. So let's let's look at some text uh, about the regular principle of worship. First text I'll look at is Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus 10 is the narrative about Nadab and Abihu, the, the sons of Aaron, the priest. So here's Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So what do we have here? We have Nadab and Abihu offering a sacrifice to God, put, firing in, put fire in their censer to God, laid incense on it. But God hadn't commanded them to do that. It was unauthorized fire. And what did God do? He killed them for it because he said, I will be sanctified. I will be treated as holy. So, what's the context here? Right before this, in, in Leviticus chapter 9, God had just accepted the sacrifice that Aaron had offered as a priest. It was a really amazing 
big thing. God accepted their sacrifice. How awesome is that? But you'll notice something about chapter 9, chapter 8 before Nadab and Abihu. For example, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, it's going through the details of how they're supposed to sacrifice. And it says, but the fat and the kidneys and the long robe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. You see, so he did it the way the Lord commanded. Verse 21 says, but the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. Right? So again and again, there you got, they're doing it according to what Moses commanded, what the Lord commanded. But then with Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10, verse uh, verse 1, it says they laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire to the Lord, which he had not commanded them. You see, he didn't expressly say, well, you can't do that. He said, just do what I say. Do what I, com- do what I command only. He didn't expressly forbid what they did. They just made up something. They added something to worship, and that was not pleasing to God. It was It's will worship. It's man inserting his own methods of worship in which God has not commanded. It's kind of like this. God, God has said, I want this from you. I want worship in this way. And we say, no, let's do it my way. I know what you would like, God, better than you do. That's kind of the problem here. So, you know, if, if you know, if, if say, um, say a king tells his servants, okay, I want, you know, I want a cup of coffee. And what I want in that coffee is two sugars and one cream. And the servant comes back and says, okay, yeah, well, I, I thought you'd like it better just black, just straight. The king would say, no, I told you what I want. And the servant says, well, I figured you'd, I know better than you. I know what you want better than you know what you want. See, the king did not say, you know, specifically like, don't do this, don't do that. He just said, this is what I want. And the servant needs to just listen to what he says. And same thing here in worship is that we ought to just do what God says, because that's what he expects of us. Let's look at another text. Second Samuel chapter 6. I'm dealing with the Ark of the Covenant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Samuel chapter 6. We have the incident of Uzzah and the Ark. So, 2 Samuel 6, verse 3, it says, And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went before the Ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. So what's the issue here? You know, they're here all excited because they're bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But they put it on an ox cart, and because the ox stumbles, Uzzah's going to, you know, with really good intentions, he's going to try to keep the ark from falling on the ground. Isn't that great? Well, here's the problem. God did not command them to carry it on an ox cart. He very particularly commanded them to do it a different way, and that particularly was to put poles through the rings that were built on the Ark of the Covenant so that they it would not fall. See, um, when when they end up um, going the second time, when David goes the second time to bring the ark, here's here's what he does. Or here's what here's what's said about it in First Chronicles uh, fifteen thirteen to fifteen. 
It says, um, David says, because he did not carry it the first time, he did not carry it on poles the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. See the difference? Now they're actually doing what God said. Now in the law there, the God say, carry it on poles, don't carry it on an ox cart. No, he just said, carry it on poles, on your shoulders, period. Don't change it. Don't add something to it. Don't subtract to what I'm commanding with regards to worship. An Ark of the Covenant, it regards worship as it regards the tabernacle and the temple. It's, it's part of the uh, ceremonial worship of God under the Old Covenant. They were supposed to carry it on the poles. God designed it that way for a purpose. Well, David and the men, they didn't really think it was a big a big deal um, to, to do that. So, got to put it on the ox cart. That was wrong. They needed to put it on poles. Um, and he actually says that they all they all were responsible for it. not just Uzzah, but all of them because they should have insisted that it was on poles. Um, so because you did not carry it for the first time, talking about the priests and the Levites, they were they were wrong too. They were in sin too because they weren't doing what God commanded. They were supposed to carry it on poles. All right, let's look at another one. Jeremiah seven um, verse thirty one. Jeremiah 7, 31, another one. Listen, listen to the way this is worded, um, the way that God um, says this. It's very important to pay attention to how he words this. Jeremiah 7, 31. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. You see, he's saying, I didn't command you to worship that way. You only, you're only supposed to do what I command you. Now, is it true that it's forbidden to murder your children? Yes, but that's not what he says here. He doesn't say they kill, they put their sons and daughters in the fire, which I said you shall not do because I said you shall not murder. He says, no, I didn't command them to worship that way. That's the sin here because he didn't command them to worship that way. Now, it would also be a sin, of course, additionally, that they murdered and so on and so forth, and that they also, you know, they're committing idolatry, of course, um, but they're saying don't. He's saying don't worship me in that way because I did not command you to worship me in that way. Another good one. This is in the New Testament. This is actually Jesus's um, explanation of the regulative principle in Matthew fifteen one through nine. This is Jesus dealing with the traditions of the Pharisees. They're made up, you know traditions that they imposed as a part of worship, uh, the worship of God. Um, in this case, it's the hand-washing rule that the Pharisees had, in which Jesus rejected that rule. So let's read Matthew 15, 1-9. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God and for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and here's the key, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
So the Pharisees had this rule, this hand-washing rule, um, and they were, they were astonished that Jesus and his disciples wouldn't do it. And he's saying, yeah, well, why do you break the fifth commandment by your, by your rule? And their rule was, well, I'll just give things, um, you know, whatever, whatever, um, what he says, what you would have gained from me is given to God. So, so these Pharisees would say to their parents, well, I don't need to give you stuff. I'll just dedicate it to God. And that's just as good. When his parents, when the Pharisees' parents were in need or needed some help or something like that. And he, Jesus rebukes them and says, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And that is typically how it goes. When tradition starts to creep in, when, when man-made worship comes in, it tends to push out biblical worship. It tends to push out biblical good works, biblical commandments, and so on and so forth when you start making up your own traditions. So they were all concerned about hand-washing, but they weren't concerned about the fifth commandment. That's the issue here. But then he quotes from Isaiah and says, This people honors me with their lips. Oh, we're very sincere. We want to worship God. But their heart is far from me because they don't care about his commandments. They're making stuff up. And he says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, their own commandments, their made-up, man-made commandments, they were teaching as if they were God's word. That's what they're, they're elevating themselves to that level. And that's not okay. We can't say, well, well, we can do whatever we want and worship. No, that's, that's vain, vain worship when we do that. It's vain worship. So saying hand-washing, we should do hand-washing as part of worship. Jesus says, no, no, you're making stuff up, and you just can't make stuff up and worship. Here's kind of a, a summary verse of the regulated principle from Deuteronomy chapter 12. Um, it's in the context of worship, but he gives kind of a, a summary of it at the, at the end, the very last verse. So he warns them against idolatry and gives them specific commands. I'll read a little context, and then I'll focus on the last verse. So Deuteronomy 12, 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell on their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done before their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters into the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So they're going to, God's saying, don't go into, into the promised land and say, how did these guys worship their gods? We can worship Yahweh the way they did. We'll take their methods and then worship our God with those methods. He's saying, no, no, no. Do not do that. I've commanded you exactly how I want you to worship me. Do not add to it. Do not take from it. You see, the regular principle of worship is very simple. It's just do what God says. No more, no less. So what if somebody's having the Lord's Supper, right? They have their bread and their wine, part of the Lord's Supper. And they say, okay, and now we're going to have some gummy bears as part of the Lord's Supper. How can you oppose that? The Bible doesn't say... Don't use gummy bears in the Lord's Supper. It, I, promise, I promise you, it doesn't say that. But what it does teach is the principle that you do only what God says with regard to worship. Okay, so you could say it's wrong to use gummy bears as part of the Lord's Supper because it's not commanded in Scripture. See, when it comes to worship, it's, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in terms of the elements of worship that are indifferent. It's just what you have to do, commanded what you have to do. Now, in general, in Scripture, there are things that are there are things that are indifferent. For example, 
you know, what you have for lunch is indifferent. The Bible doesn't say, well, you need to have rice and chicken for lunch. It doesn't say you can't have certain things for lunch in the New Covenant era. It leaves it indifferent. Okay, it leaves it open. You're just guided by the general principles of the word. So, you know, don't be a glutton, you know, and so on and so forth. You know, be generous and share and so on and so forth. But it doesn't tell you the particulars of what you're supposed to eat for lunch. It's left indifferent. There's freedom, liberty of conscience with regard to that. But when it comes to the category of worship, the worship of God, there's not that. You have to do what he says and only what he says with regard to worship. You can't just start making stuff up. That's the issue here. You can't start adding things. So somebody doing a skit, a skit in worship, um, some sort of dance, something like that. Where in scripture are we commanded to do skits, to do theater in worship? Nowhere. Where are we commanded to do liturgical dancing, dancing in worship, ballet, or having a, 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 you know, a, dance, um, a dance troupe, all that? Nowhere. See, scripture doesn't command that. So what does scripture command then with regard to worship? Well, I have here uh, a helpful little chart that I found which talks about the ordinances or the elements of worship versus the circumstances of worship. So let me talk about that for a minute. There are elements of worship, and those are the things that God has commanded. For example, the preaching of the Bible, the reading of the Bible, meeting on the Lord's Day on Sunday, um, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the hearing of the word of God by the congregation, prayer, and singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Those are the elements of worship. Pretty simple, right? But then, on the other hand, there are circumstances of worship. Examples of circumstances would be the structure in which the church meets. Do you meet in a building? Do you meet in a building with a steeple? Do you meet in a movie theater? Do you meet in somebody's home? Do you meet in a field? Do you meet in a tent? That's a circumstance. The Bible leaves that, circumstances, indifferent, governed by general principles using wisdom. The location in which you meet. In the New Covenant, there is no temple in Jerusalem. It can be anywhere. You can have worship services anywhere. Um, The time on the Lord's Day when you meet. Is it 11 a.m.? Is it 1 p.m.? Is it 9.30 a.m.? That's left indifferent. It's not not commanded. You can just use general principles and wisdom there as well. The clothing that you wear to worship is left indifferent. Again, guided by general principles. It needs to be modest. It needs to be appropriate and so on and so forth, but it's not, there's no specific, you know, vestments or, or, you know, costumes you have to wear, anything like that. And the type of seating, do you have chairs, do you have pews? That's left indifferent because it's a circumstance of worship. It's not an element of worship. But these other things are preaching, reading the Bible, you know, prayer, the sacraments, etc., singing. Those are elements of worship. God has commanded those in, in Scripture. And as you can see on the screen, there's a number of, of Scripture texts cited for, for those things. Um, that's really important, so the elements of worship. So what if you go on, on Sunday morning, you go to your worship service, and in your bulletin, there's a little section here. It says, here we're going to light a candle for the worship of God, right? There's nothing in Scripture that says, you know, I command you to light a candle in in honor of me or worship of me, right? That would be unauthorized worship. Remember Nadab and Abihu. It was unauthorized fire to the Lord, to Yahweh, but he had not commanded it to them, so they were killed for it. Uzzah, right? It was 
carry it on carry it on the poles. Well, they did something different. They decided to carry it on an ox cart. You know, the the things that God has not commanded are forbidden, right? So the Bible does not say, like I said, it does not say, well, you can't have a candle in your worship service to, as a part of your worship service. Now, however, we'll make a distinction. If said candles in your sanctuary of your church, of your church house, are there just for lighting, that's fine. That'd be a circumstance of worship. But if you have a ceremonial lighting of a candle as part of your worship, that's the problem. You see the difference? So ordinances of worship or elements of worship, um, you only can do what God has commanded, period. No more, no less. When it comes to circumstances, it's left to just general principles and, and wisdom. There is no commandment about the color of the carpet in the church house or how many lights there are or how many rows of seating there are or whether you use incandescent bulbs or you know so on and so forth. Whatever, All those things are just left indifferent. They're not commanded in Scripture. But when it comes to elements of worship, what you are doing as an act of worship to God, those are left very simple in the New Testament. It's just do what God has said, no more, no, no less. So if they said, we're going to come up here and do a ceremonial hand washing, kind of like the Pharisees, that would be wrong. So when you look at those videos and say, we're going to do an interpretive dance, that's wrong. We're going to do ballet, that's wrong. Not because interpretive dance and ballet are in and of themselves sinful, they're not. But when you put it into worship, it becomes wrong. See, lighting a candle, nothing wrong with lighting a candle. Lighting up your house with a candle, that's great. But doing it as an act of worship, well, God has not commanded that. And that's the issue here. You see the difference? So <clears throat> everything, you know, like like jumping on a trampoline, even if the trampoline is dressed up like a couch, in and of itself is indifferent. <clears throat> I would do that, but not as a part of worship, not as a part of my sermon, Right. I'm going to, to have this big thing and, and make a big hubbub about it as an act of worship to God as part of my worship service. No, no. But outside of worshiping God, sure, it's just indifferent. You know, um, doing ballet is indifferent. But if you do it as an act of worship in your worship services, see, God has not commanded dancing as a part of the worship. It's, it's preaching and singing and prayer, <clears throat> the sacraments, that sort of thing are the things that are commanded. So, let's sum it up. Remember Deuteronomy 12. It says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. That's with regard to, to worship. Um, you shall not look at the world. He says, you, you go into the promised land, you don't look at how they worship their God and think that you can worship me that way. right? So we don't look at the world and say, how could I worship God by taking ideas from the world? Now, Basically, what the regulative principle is, it's, the, it's sola scriptura applied to worship. Is that all we need is the Bible. The Bible alone is the, the rule, provides the rule of how we are to worship God. And that's simply just by doing what he says, no more, no less. See, this is contrary, again, to the normative principle of worship, which says you can do anything you want as long as it's not expressly forbidden. So, of course, we couldn't, we couldn't bow down to images because the second commandment says you cannot bow down to images. Absolutely. But it leaves tons of stuff open. Um, for example, like, like um, the commandment is, does not say, you know, you cannot carry, carry the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. 
It doesn't say in the Bible you cannot wash your hands as an act of worship, for example. It doesn't say in the Bible that you can't use gummy bears as part of your uh, as part of the Lord's table. You see, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to because if God had to say everything um, that's forbidden in worship, the Bible would be infinitely long. You see what I mean? Let's take the Lord's Supper, for example. What can't you do in the Lord's Supper? Well, you can't use gummy bears. You can't use Oreos. You can't use milk. You can't use et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could have a billion things. You can't use Kit Kat bars. You can't use Milky Way bars. You can't use Hershey's bars. See, the Bible doesn't have to do that. God doesn't have to make the Bible infinitely long to say everything you can't do in worship. Instead, all he says is, here's what you do in worship. The Lord's Supper is simple. It's bread and wine. Baptism. Very simple. You use water. It's not hard. Just use water. Just use water. Okay? You don't need to add all this other stuff to it. It's just very simple. Just do this. No more. No less. That's the regulative principle of worship. Which means that worship is regulated by God. We only do what he says. Didn't add to it or take from it. Not too hard. So, again, for this subject of, you know, pragmatism in worship. Well, whatever we think is good will be whatever we think is good will be fine in worship. That's wrong. It's not what we think is good. It's what God says he wants. It's not what we think is good. We have very, we have big imaginations. You know, just this small sampling of videos I showed at the beginning shows you that people have pretty interesting imaginations on what they think is appropriate for worship. But the Bible keeps it simple. God says, here's all you have to do is just do what I command you. When it comes to worship, just do what I say. The elements of worship are very simple. Just read the Bible, preach the Bible, hear the Bible, pray to me, sing to me, administer the sacraments appropriately, meet on the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. Not too complicated. Let's not overcomplicate things. Let's obey God the way he... Uh, this worship God the way he has commanded commanded him to be worshipped. Let's worship him properly, the way that's pleasing to him. We don't want to be vain worshipers. We don't want to put our our ideas on the level of God's word and say, well, this will be acceptable to God. Clearly, you know, for the example of Nadab and Abihu, they really thought, wow, God just accepted a sacrifice from Aaron, our dad. Let's do one ourselves. That would be so cool. I really want to see God accept our sacrifice. Well, God had not commanded their sacrifice. So he, he struck them down because it was a sin. So although these videos are, are funny, they're kind of funny to watch, it's also, it should alarm us. It should alarm us. Um, God is holy. And he says, I will be, I will be sanctified. I will be counted holy. Um, when it comes to worship, you got to be very careful on what you're doing. You want to, you definitely want to keep the regular principle of worship. If you're, you know, you want to honor God and and honor Him the way that He has, you know, commanded in worship. Just keep it simple. Just stick to the Bible, sola scriptura. Don't add your own ideas when it comes to worship, and you'll be okay. So with that, we'll go ahead and, and close it down. Um, again, this is the regulative principle of worship, um, first in the series on pragmatism. This, will, this is pragmatism in worship. Um, we'll be doing a number of other things, uh, pragmatism in a bunch of other areas of life. So again, this is Full Armor Radio. I'm John O'Rourke with Full Armor Ministries, um, evangelistic worker here in the U.S. Again, thank you so much for watching or for listening, and God bless you.